Dr. Brent Matthews, uh, thank you very much for joining us on Getting the Know with Your CMO. And uh, it's an honor to have you here and share a little bit about who you are and, and your vision for the Department of Surgery here at Atrium Health. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Uh, just like the surgeon that you are, short, succinct, straight to the answer. That's right. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, Brent. So uh, I've been at Atrium Health for five and a half years. I actually had a relationship in the system previously. I did a minimally invasive surgery fellowship in 1999, finishing in 2000. I started on faculty for about three years doing uh, minimally invasive GI surgery and then was recruited to Washington University in St. Louis at Barnes Jewish Hospital. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was there uh, you know, more than a decade, close to 11 years, and then got recruited back in a new capacity. So to be the chair of the Department of Surgery and Surgeon-in-Chief of the healthcare system. Excellent. I met my wife in Charlotte, so the opportunity to come back to Charlotte was uh, didn't require any selling. She was eager to come back. Uh, we have a lot of friends here who are still here. Our faith community was here. Um, even our kids uh, still knew a lot of the children that uh, they initially grew up with in Charlotte. So yeah, how many uh, how many kids? So we have three daughters. We mm -hmm. have a daughter who's Riley's a junior in high school. We have a freshman in high school, Lauren, and then we had our big blessing. Uh, we have a five-year-old, Hadley. All right, all right, wonderful. Um, where are you from, though? You, you don't have the southern draw. So where's where's where were you? Born? Yeah, so I was actually <laughs> born in. I, yeah, I was actually born in Indiana. I did grow up in Atlanta, Georgia, but I learned to write and speak and communicate before we moved to Atlanta. So, yeah, no southern accent. Yeah. And then we moved back to Indianapolis, and so I finished high school in Indianapolis. And then, like many people in the medical community, I've been all over doing my training, going to school, doing my training. I went to school at Miami of Ohio yeah. uh, in Oxford, Ohio, and then went to medical school at Indiana University then did my residency at Northeast Ohio yeah. University College of Medicine. Did a fellowship at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Did a second fellowship here, so that's my relationship to the system. Wonderful. And I heard you had a, a kidney transplant along the way. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I do need to apologize for you. <laughs> no, uh, for those of you listeners, we were doing an introduction among some of our physician leaders, and I had asked for some fast facts or some facts about our leaders, and he... Dr. Matthews got me so off. He just shared, well, yeah, and I'm also a kidney transplant recipient. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? I did not know that about you. And he just started cracking. Yeah. It, it, was, it was a great joke, but it was also, it highlighted the empathy that everybody had in the room because <laughs> the looks I got, people were, you know, amazed that, you know, Here's a kidney transplant recipient that's, you know, we had no idea. Right. Well, and, and, and also, there are probably a lot of people out there that have had those that you don't know about it. That's but. very true. And actually, you know, that ties into our growth here from a surgery standpoint. Our transplant department is doing so well. I know that over the last couple of months, from a volume standpoint, we're doing incredibly well. And, and a lot of them are kidney transplants. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Sorry, I had to bring that up. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was, <laughs> that was mean, but it was funny. It was funny. Um, all right. Well, great. So thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, and since being here um, five and a half years, um, no changes, right? Yeah, just a, just a few. Well, it's interesting. I, uh, I was in a position uh, at Washington University, very traditional academic uh, medical center. 
I was a tenured professor of surgery. I had NIH funding to do translational research. was doing all the clinical things I wanted to, to do and was very happy uh, where I was at. The department there is world-class, working with great uh, individuals, uh, world-class programs. And so uh, when Dr. Hanley, who led the search committee, the previous chair of orthopedic surgery here, who's now endowed a position um, that T. Mormon has, Dr. Mormon, uh, called me about the opportunity. One of the reasons I was intrigued by the opportunity was I thought, what would a a modern academic medical center look like Mm -hmm. in 10 to 15 years? And some of the opportunities I thought the Carolinas Medical Center, the system as a whole, could support and evolve into and transform uh, were opportunities that you wouldn't see at any other place in the country. Sure. And so five and a half years later, you know, a lot of those things are happening. Yeah. Uh, we continue to build a, a very subspecialized uh, academic department uh, that supports a quaternary, ter- tertiary quaternary care hospital. Uh, we're pretty close to uh Partnering with Wake Forest mm-hmm. Baptist Health, the Wake Forest Medical School, having a medical school in Charlotte, um, our our footprint as Atrium Health. So when I came in, it was Carolina's healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Now as Atrium Health is uh, broadened to Georgia. It's uh, um, um, you know, obviously broadened within North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Is about to. And so, uh, you know, things have changed drastically, and the opportunities that relates to program development is just, you know, limitless. But even in the short term that you've been here, short term is a relative term, but in the five and a half years, you've built some really wonderful things, uh, services that are being offered. The growth part I get, but the services that you've already brought in, you know, talent that you've brought in for research, talent that you've uh, brought over for specialties, you know, can you highlight a couple of those for us? Yeah, so we already have a, lo- a lot of really uh, highly functional, uh, transformative, well-known international surgeons. A lot of it was about putting structure around that, mm-hmm. getting people to work across the department. We spent a fair amount of time deciding as a leadership group what are the priorities in the department, uh, defining those priorities and how are we going to spend our resources. So mm-hmm. resources often... Time. How are we going to recruit strategically to bring people in? Uh, discretionary funding that we have. How are we going to reinvest that into the department uh, to support those priorities and develop others? Um, and an example of that is around enhanced recovery. Mm-hmm. So, enhanced recovery is a protocolized, evidence-based, multidisciplinary uh, care program, and so we put an emphasis on that being a priority in the department. So that when we start uh, developing or expanding these complex programs, it's around evidence-based multidisciplinary care. Uh, We audit our compliance to care pathways so that we know uh, where our vulnerabilities are from a process standpoint. Uh, We can always improve, and if there's areas that we're we're not using certain parts of the evidence-based pathway, yeah, the quality improvement on that or process improvement is to 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 you know change and so we were the first uh, hospital in the United States that was designated a center of excellence by the enhanced recovery after surgery international society that's awesome 
So the, the um, if you look at our service lines now, we started in HPV surgery, which is probably one of our most comprehensive, mature models. Uh, but now we have it in urology, we have it in colorectal surgery, we have it in GYN, mm-hmm. um, we have abdominal reconstruction, head and neck surgical oncology. So it's really it, it's a new standard with which we manage patients, and it's to a higher standard. And it's not just here at CMC or Central Division. It's actually being rolled out and is system-wide, right? there. This is being offered, any, especially like the colon uh, bundle and the ERAS plans. Those are system-wide efforts. Yeah, there's, there's two parts of that. One is the, the program we have in Center City, because of our academic focus, mm-hmm. there's, there's some, I would say, some add-ons to it that aren't necessary in terms of uh, being able to transform patient care at any, any hospital. So we've rolled, yeah, we've rolled that out uh, across the metro facilities. Uh, we started in, in colon surgery. Mm-hmm. And once you really got the core group together in terms of leadership, uh, uh, who's actually going to uh, lead the multidisciplinary teams, uh, who's going to be accountable for the outcomes and process improvement. Uh, we've been able to now push that into other uh, service lines. Excellent. Yeah, we call it ERAS light. It's, not, it's light from a standpoint of the comprehensiveness of a lot of the things that are important from a scholarship standpoint, but it's not light in terms of the impact uh, we saw uh, surgical site infections decrease dramatically across the system in colorectal surgery because of the program. Yeah, absolutely. And from a, segueing that into some additional quality work, we have um, also a recent review by the American College of Surgeons who are uh, looking at some of the quality uh, components of our. Do you want to speak a little to that? Yeah, so the American College of Surgeons is piloting a program. Uh, there were eight hospitals that participated across the country, and we we're thankful to be one of those where they have a lot of uh, quality improvement programs. They have a uh, history of doing this in cancer and trauma and general surgery uh, and really a lot of the other subspecialties of surgery. They've rolled this out in geriatrics, emergency general surgery. They want a more comprehensive uh, 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 look where you're not looking at these separate programs where you're bringing them all together. And they also wanted to look at it more across what they call the house of surgery. So not make it just focused in general surgery, but across all the subspecialties of surgery. Uh, it, it, it was interesting when they came to do our visit, we're, we're, it, it highlighted our uniqueness in that mm-hmm. we really do have systemness where m- many other um, places that they had visited, although it may be a hospital within a system, they're so disconnected that they don't really relate to each other. Uh, the other part of that was we're, we're still an open medical staff. So how do you relate uh, those that are part of a medical group who uh, are in a system versus those who are affiliated but still part of a system in terms of the integration and working together? It highlighted a lot of our strengths. Uh, mm-hmm. They gave us a lot of feedback about how we can be better. And, and so, again, Hopefully that's leading edge that, that we're involved in that pilot program and, and move forward with a lot of the recommendations they've given to improve patient care. I think one of the uh, greatest uh, compliments they provided was the engagement of the medical staff, specifically the surgeons who showed up for the dinner where they were openly asking questions. And they, the, the reviewers, uh, the survey team, were, were dramatically impressed by that. And that goes back to leadership that both 
you were able to get the team to show up, both uh, employed and, and affiliated partners, as well as Carolyn Renke, Dr. Renke, who's helping lead that from a chief uh, surgical quality standpoint. Yeah, the, the people who are, uh, have oversight of the program from the American College of Surgeons standpoint came from, uh, come, from very, come from closed medical staffs mm-hmm. at university-based programs. And uh, one of them, quite frankly, told me wasn't exactly sure what we would see from an engagement and participation uh, leadership standpoint as it relates to you know, the affiliated uh, open medical staff, mm-hmm. and they were quite impressed with the engagement and the, the interest. And quite honestly, the, a lot of the quality work that's already been done and, and what's in place yeah. now. But, yeah, Dr. Rinke and partnering with Atrium Health Corporate Quality, right. uh, who has a lot of great people and resources. And, and, and you know, it, if you look nationally, what is Atrium Health most known for uh, across uh, the landscape of uh, systems and hospitals. It's around quality work. That's good. That's good. This is just another extension of it. Wonderful. So knowing that you've got these steps in the current state, what are you most concerned about as uh, the leader of our surgery department, uh, surgery throughout Atrium Health? What are you most concerned about uh, from the types of services that we can deliver to what we need to focus our attention on in these next uh, one to two years. Let's put it that way. Yeah, probably number one is uh, getting the uh, right patient in the right location at the right time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the redistribution of surgical services, making sure that where we have duplication of services across our metropolitan footprint, that uh, we don't do that. where we can provide care closer to home because we we do have the opportunity to take care of patients throughout their continuum because of our, our strong primary care network that, that we do that. Mm-hmm. But it's really around the, the redistribution and ca- capacity management. Uh, we're in a, a growing market. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's difficult to get more ORs and more hospital beds. That's just the, the nature of certificate of need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really managing that work in real time in relationship to uh, lots of building, that uh, capital improvements or capital building that's going to occur uh, within Center City. Um, the possibility of having two additional hospitals in, in Mecklenburg County, or one in Mecklenburg County, one in Union County. But uh, uh, you know, how, how are we going to manage all that redistribution? Because you're, you're asking surgeons and their teams to potentially go to new locations, mm-hmm. uh, new office, new, you know, drive to and from work. You know, that's that's very disruptive. And somebody who has in a routine has the comforts of uh, providing care in certain locations. Yeah, but I think it, it speaks to the volumes of one we need it from a capacity standpoint, but we also need it for where the patients need it. Right to your initial point of trying to make sure we get to the patients where uh, where they are and not worrying about trying to always bring them to where we are. Uh, that, I think th- at least that's the way I, I, I read it. I know there has to be some give and take in, in the whole uh, theme of this, but, but I think that's, that's ultimately what we need to provide if we want to really grow and grow correctly. Yeah, you know, if you think about it at one point in time, because when I lived here in uh, the early 2000s, mm-hmm. it was when 485 was uh, built. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, so yeah. traveling to, to uptown Charlotte or to this location... Uh, uh, 
you know, was the same travel often to the community-based hospitals that was around them. Yeah. But with 485 now, it's very easy to get to Pineville. It's very easy to get to uh, University City. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a un- we'll have a Union West Hospital. It'll be very easy to get there. So uh, uh, traveling to Uptown is more of an inconvenience sure. now. Uh, and if we are doing tertiary quaternary care at this facility. Uh, many of those services can be provided at locations along the 485 corridor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are opportunities to move some of the tertiary type surgery into those locations so that patients who have those um, uh, uh, those those types of problems that require that service don't have to come down to, yeah. to this location. Well, good. We've been seri- we've been having a serious conversation now for the last ten fifteen minutes, um, except for the liver transplant. Or sorry, it was a kidney, kidney transplant. transplant. Yeah, you might have had that too. Yeah, right? no. yeah. Uh, no. Uh, do you have a joke? You know, part of this is you know we work hard, uh, we play hard, and part of it is what's the joke of the day? Do you have a surgical based joke that you you can share? It's got to be PG, right? Yeah, I would say. Unfortunately, I don't have any. I don't have any clean jokes on the top of my head. Well, I'll give you one. What is the definition of post-operative? I don't know. It's a letter carrier. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. All right. right, Well, what about what's the definition of recovery room? I don't know. A place to do upholstery. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to yeah. stop. All right, we'll keep going back to the conversation. Sorry, these are my you know jokes that I, I have to be able to, pull to. And you know I'm reading them too because yeah. I can't deliver that well. <laughs> so um, what are you... Well, so let me ask this question. You work hard. You work really hard. Um, what refuels you? Yeah, a couple things. One is uh, uh, wellness. So I uh, I exercise a minimum of five days a week. Okay, great. So I uh, 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 run and 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 lift, but mostly run. During uh, uh, what weather's appropriate, I'll play golf. Okay. I, I uh, can't play enough. Uh, so part of it's just wellness. For for me, um, my mental health is always better when my physical health is better. Sure, sure. Uh, my, my when we moved here and we were talking about uh, potentially joining some place to, you know, to play that I could play golf. Uh, my wife said that uh, don't worry about the expense; it's cheaper than therapy. <laughs> See, and, there you yeah, go. And I don't know if that was personal therapy or that was <laughs> marriage uh, counseling or what it was, but uh, to me, there's a, there there's a lot of there's an absolute lot of a lot of truth to that. So sure. that's one. Uh, uh, you know, my family. Yeah. Uh, I've been blessed to have three daughters, um, all very different. Like I alluded to earlier, we had a, a blessing. We have more than a ten year gap between. Uh, our middle daughter and our youngest daughter mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and for us it was kind of like a, a renewal or something was missing to complete our family mm-hmm. but uh it, it's that that part's been fantastic for me because of uh, where i'm at in my life now compared to when we had our first two daughters uh, things are more in slow motion yeah. it, it's just it's, it it, it's it's fantastic yeah you don't worry about as much uh, and then um, 
two other things. One is my faith life. Yeah. Uh, so um, very committed to that. Um, that's you know who I want to be represent. How I want to represent myself. Yeah. It's important to my family. A lot of my the most important relationships I have in my life are people that I interact with in, in our faith community. Yeah. And then uh, I help run a uh, not for profit. Yeah, tell me more about uh, yeah, that. Uh, so, or tell our audience. I know a little bit about it. Yeah, it's called Surgical Outreach for the Americas. Uh, we do surgical, uh, well, we, the, most people call them surgical mission trips, uh, but uh, in Central America. And so we've done 16 trips in the last 10 years to El Salvador, Dominican Republic, and Honduras. Mm-hmm. We primarily do hernia surgery, so in these locations where... Most people to learn a day, earn a daily wage, they have to do uh, agrarian or labor or manual labor type um, for em- employment. Mm-hmm. Having a hernia is a disability, mm-hmm. and if you look uh, at um, World Health Organization statistics around uh, quality of uh, life lost, even uh, on- onward towards mortality, hernia actually is uh, a public health crisis in those locations. Wow. Because people don't have access to care. So it's a it's an op, there are operations that we can do that are low acuity. The complication rates are very, very low. Mm-hmm. So um, you can actually go down, take care of those patients, and very few of those patients will actually have any kind of clinical consequence of the procedure. So yeah. we, we don't do a lot of complexity. In it. So it has a major impact in their ability to... to do things that they couldn't before. So uh, uh, we're to the point now we're doing three of those trips a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I highlight, we, people call them mission trips. We, we've recently been going to Honduras, and when we go down, they call them, they call them surgical brigades. <laughs> and if you look at the term brigade, brigade uh, really means, you know, it, it's a force working for a, 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 you know, a greater cause. Mm-hmm. And it's about... Uh, you know, a group working on behalf of another group or working together with that group. And uh, and they don't like the word mission because mission implies charity. And they see themselves as part of the, you know, they're obviously unfortunate, but they want to be part of the solution. So when we go, we go down there, they work very closely with our group. So it's, it's kind of re-coined the term from... You know, mission to brigade. Hmm, I like that. Yeah, you, you think of it. It's a military term. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, yeah. But oh, how many people go on this trip with you? Uh, we generally take upwards to fifteen individuals because we have to uh, take anesthetists, surgeons. We always take trainees with mm-hmm, us, so mm-hmm. surgery residents. We have to um, do pre and post op mm-hmm. uh, care. Uh, about half the group can speak fluent. Uh, oh fluently in Spanish. We take a pediatric uh, uh, intensivist. Mm-hmm. We do pediatric surgery, so we have to have safeguards in place. Sure. That, you know, what happens if uh, we have a pediatric patient who has a, a medical issue? We, right. want, we need that person there. So in 16 trips, I think they've actually had to, you know, take care of two problems uh so but you have to the the goal is the care we provide there and the safeguards we have have to be similar to what we have here i've got it got it that's great oh that's exciting well thank you for sharing those uh ways to uh refresh your soul uh and your your body um 
What are you most excited about with regards to Atrium? Um, and maybe I asked this question previously, but really, what are you excited about coming um, in front of us here, with the opportunities we have? To me, right now, currently, today, the most exciting thing is um, our relationship with Wake Forest. Yeah. Uh, one is, uh, I think, having a medical school in Charlotte will, will have a vibrancy to the community that, that they've never seen before. Hmm. Uh, it will attract the, the spinoff of that in terms of the types of people who will come to Charlotte to be a part of that community. Um, is is a whole nother kind of workforce in and of itself. Mm. I think the other is is that it gives Atrium Health an opportunity to connect to the community in a way that they haven't been able to before. I think we connect very well with the community when I say the you know a patient, a family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but to connect with the community to say um, you know we're building something that is. The regions the, the region can take pride in. Uh, mm. They can connect with the business community, the the faith community, the um, you know public service community. You know, medical schools have a, a tremendous effect on a on a region. Mm. Uh, and so, to me, that, that that's another value added, something that's going to be unique and, and long lasting. It's exciting. Well, we're nearing the end of our conversation and it has been very pleasant to get to know you further and letting the staff and the teammates get to know you um, what do you want to leave them um, uh, leave the listeners and, and remember the target audience is really any one of our medical staff uh, learners uh, other attendings what do you want to leave them about you and sort of uh, who you are yeah, if you if you look at uh, the vision of our department, so you know um, who do we aspire to be, mm-hmm. uh, and we sat we sat as leadership group and thought through this as we developed it. Uh, it was really about developing a leadership culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's probably the most important thing that that we can do in surgery is that you know whether you're defined as a leader or you're just leading your OR team or you're in a situation that requires you to step up and and manage something um, putting a priority on uh, uh, developing that leadership culture mm-hmm. so the leadership culture is around clinical care it's around our education it's around research it's our community engagement uh, that, that's probably the most important thing uh, to us uh, uh, as a whole mm-hmm. um, we want People to look to the, to anyone who's involved in the surgery care division uh, to you know be a problem solver, uh, be a be a point of reference, uh, be a you know give guidance, give mentorship, you know lead in some way, and so we're, we're really putting an emphasis on you know developing that as as the number one part of the overall culture of of surgery. Excellent. All right, last little joke. When you're in surgery and you get a little bleeder, you may not, but when you do, what's the definition of, definition of cauterize? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> made contact, made eye contact with her. That's very good. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. These are terrible. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dr. Matthews, thank you very much for taking time to chat with us. Um, really appreciate it. I know the, the team that gets to listen to this will appreciate that as well. Yeah, well, thank you. Have a great day.
Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Get in the Know with Your CMO. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Please join us again as we interview medical staff members, teammates, and other leaders 